Yeah. Nice work, Britton Gregory. Nice work. Let's give that woman a raise. What do you say? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, by any measure, the United States Postal Service is a marvel of modern business and efficiency and ingenuity. It really is. Think about it. Every single day, 484 million mail pieces are processed by the post office. Impressive, huh? That's 125 to 150 billion mail pieces every day. It's extraordinary. And so when I put a 55-cent stamp on my letter and I drop it in the mailbox, it can go anywhere in America and be delivered by one of 75,000 uh, mailmen and, or mailwomen uh, who will deliver that to your front door. It's absolutely astounding. It's something that I just take for granted. It's become so ordinary, this extraordinary feat, unless, of course, something gets lost in the mail that you really want. Do you, do you, have you ever had a time where an important letter or package, either that you've sent or are waiting to receive, has either been stalled or lost in the mail? Have you, have you experienced that? It's frustrating. It's disconcerting. The mail is supposed to arrive in two to three business days unless I spend extra money and it should arrive tomorrow. This is the right that our forefathers died for, right? Well, we had one of those experiences about six years ago when we adopted our second child, Stella Kate Davidson. And if you've ever uh, been on the adoption journey yourself or know of others who have, it is its own form of labor, like there are these ups and downs. It's, it's beautiful and joyful and, and intense and difficult, all of those things. Well, that would be a discussion for another morning. But at the end of this process, we were able to adopt Stella into our home and into our family. She was born December 15th, 2012, and she was our Christmas miracle that year. It was absolutely unbelievable. And so, uh, as the holidays ended, we wanted nothing more, my wife and son and Stella and I, and Grammy was there with us, than to go home. And this is where the story picks up. Because to this, she was born in North Carolina, and so to cross state lines legally, an interstate compact has to be legally sent and arrive in Kansas for us to take our daughter out of North Carolina. And, and it took a while for all that to happen. We had our airline uh, tickets, the, I think it was December 27th, ready to go. But I had to go to uh, the hospital. I had to go to the uh, lawyer's office. I had to hand deliver to the post office overnight night delivery. Here is that interstate compact so that we could go home. Well, there are a few challenges. Anyone have any idea what the, the biggest volume of postage, you know, when's the, the post office's busiest time of the year? It's around the holidays because you forgot to send a letter or a gift, and so it's inundated. But that wouldn't have stopped our postal service. That was a year where, I don't know if you'll recall, but do you remember Snowmageddon? Snowmageddon happened that very year. And so we're watching this package, which is amazing. Like, it's delayed. Where's, where's it? It's delayed in, in Memphis. Oh, no. Oh, it made it. It made it to Kansas City. Yes. Why is it still on the truck? Like, what's going on? A day before it arrives uh, where it's supposed to arrive. Uh, and it should have worked out. But here's the third problem. This is a great time to take vacation if you're a government employee. 
So we watched as our package with the interstate compact that would enable us to leave North Carolina with our daughter is sitting in the first floor of a five-story building, and 24 hours later, it has not moved. To make a long story short, Holly had to come back for a wedding. She, Drew, and Grammy left. I got to stay in North Carolina an extra four days and take in the new year with our new daughter. All's well that ends well, right? Quite an experience, and here's a picture of Stella, who's just now six. What a gift. Well, as Britton said, my name's Seth. I'm one of the pastors around here. If you've been around for a while, you know we've spent 18 months going through this book of Ephesians. And so if you're brand new, so excited you're here, I've got a lot to catch you up about. Just kidding. We are also ending a series that we're calling Suit Up. And today we end our our series, we end the book of Ephesians with what I think may be the most, one of the most significant times together as we explore the life of Tychicus the mailman. You ready for this? Were you excited when you woke up to finish the book, to learn about the mailman? No, I mean, two of you. I wasn't either, to be honest. And then I read the passage, and this is so rich because Tychicus was one of those ordinary believers who lived an extraordinary life. Common, ordinary believer who lived an extraordinary life. And I believe in his story, we can unpack things that will take our ordinary lives and make them extraordinary as well. So you game for that? Okay. End of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. Final greetings. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am doing and how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, Paul ends the letter very similar to how he's begun. His first words have to do with, I want to give grace and peace. I want you to experience the grace of God, that unmerited, that gift of favor that you could have never imagined, and the peace of God, the shalom that covers everything that's happening. I want you to have grace and peace. And throughout the letter, he's encouraged them about being faithful in their love, Loving God, putting him first. Loving our brothers and sisters, loving well, being steadfast, and loving the world around us for Jesus' sake. So he's sort of ending the way he began and has continued, but it's, did you catch this? He, he actually has more to say. He's not done with his message. How does he want to say it? Through the messenger, through the mailman, by Tychicus. So if there's a title for this message, I just call it Tie the Mailman. And I'm excited to introduce you to Ty the Mailman. So Ty was an Asian believer, grew up in the Asian uh, church at the time. And he was one of Paul's most trusted companions. We first see him in the book of Acts towards the end where he's on a journey with Paul to deliver much needed financial relief uh, to Jerusalem. We see him there. Likely, uh, Ty uh, had spent two years in Ephesus with Paul while Paul was training the next generation of leaders. 
He was likely one of those. And it turns out he will be one of those people who's with Paul till the end. Ty, the mailman's only mentioned five times in the Bible, but what we see and what we can infer and what we can apply to our lives is amazing because what we see in him is an ordinary believer who lives an extraordinary life. Three ways it describes uh, Ty. And I want you, as I'm sharing these things, to think about uh, the people you most admire, the people you look up to. See if you see these characteristics in the ordinary people who live extraordinary lives around you. First thing it says, Ty is a beloved brother. He's a beloved brother. He's not just someone that we have to relate to. He is just so well-loved, probably because he has loved so well. Ty is a beloved brother, just near and dear to Paul. Do you know people like that? Second thing it says about Ty He's a faithful helper. If there's one thing about this man, we see he is just faithful. He's that person who will take your phone call late in the night. He's the person that will be there decades later. He will be the person who will go the extra mile. Ty is faithful to help anyone and everyone. He's in the place to be relied upon when you need it most. That's the way Ty was And finally, he's a servant leader. We see throughout, he became a a profound leader in the early church. But what we see here and elsewhere, he's described as someone who's faithful. He's a helper. He is a servant leader. Do you know anyone like that? Who is that ordinary believer who you just see in them an extraordinary life? We got so many of those folks around here. I've been part of men's ministry for a number of years, and I think of people like Brad Gregory. That dude is just a beloved person to me and so many. He mentors me. He disciples more people than I do, and he's just, he's not on staff. I mean, it's amazing, this guy, an ordinary plastics salesman who's an excellent jazz saxophone player. Like, he's, he's incredible to me. I think about men like Mark Murfield. Mark's retired. Uh, he's just one of those behind-the-scenes guys. He is faithful as the day is long. Part of that faithfulness has been going to Guatemala 30 years in a row. 30 years, just to pour into the same community, the same group of kids. And he'd be really mad if I, like, was bragging about him like this, but he has a college named after him. It's more of like a high school. It's like a school for these kids, but they go to Colegio Mark. He is an ordinary believer who's living an extraordinary life. There's so many people like this, men and women around here. Think of folks like Amber Jackson and Diana Blesson. Think of people like Alicia Pont. Think of Tanya Dalrymple. So many others. Who are those people you think about? Common, ordinary people who are living extraordinary lives. And I want you to know today that that is possible for you. That is available to you. And by the end, I'll share how. Second thing we see in the life of Ty, the mailman, he makes an amazing contribution by fulfilling a mundane task. He makes an amazing contribution by fulfilling the mundane task. Like, He's introduced in this letter because he delivered the letter. He's the mailman. 
On one hand, that sounds like mundane, like not that big of a deal, like anyone could have done that, right? I wonder how many of us think of ourselves like that. Well, I'm just a mailman. I'm just a student. I'm just a manager. I'm just a stay-at-home mom or dad. God doesn't have anything amazing for me. Well, Ty was, made an amazing contribution by just living out the normal day-to-day lives and fulfilling the mundane task. Now, I am underselling a little bit because in our day, we put a letter in the mailbox and it arrives two to three business days anywhere in our country, right? Not so much in that day. It was an incredible journey to deliver mail. If you were wealthy, you may have had some options, but if you weren't, as these early disciples weren't, you had to wait for a person who was going generally in the right direction. And so Tychicus was generally going these 1,600 miles from Ephesus, or from Rome, where he's with Paul, who's in prison, to Ephesus to deliver this letter. And it's dangerous to travel by roads because there's bandits and lions and bears. Oh, my. That was my parenthetical statement. But even more than that, to travel those 1,600 miles, you'd need to travel by ship, which was more comfortable and efficient, but also could be terrifying. We know from the life of Paul, he was shipwrecked three times. Maybe Tychicus was with him one of those times. I mean, it was a very dangerous endeavor to travel. And so you had to be someone who was trusted and trustworthy to take these letters. It was very common in the ancient world that a letter would not arrive as desired. Common, normal, mundane task, maybe not super spiritual in and of itself, but Ty makes an amazing accomplishment by delivering this letter to update them and to encourage them. We see this in the scripture. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you, to instill courage within them, these people who are far away from Paul but are near and dear to his heart. That's Ty's job, but that's not the most significant accomplishment God does through this road trip to deliver the mail. Because we know that Ty had not only this letter to the church in Ephesus that we've been going through, he has another letter likely on the same trip to the church in Colossae, and accompanying that letter, he has the letter to Philemon. These are all now books in our New Testament. Anyone have any idea the backstory of the Philemon letter? So Philemon is this sort of wealthy uh, aristocrat who's a follower of Jesus in the city of Colossae. And Onesimus, he's had a slave named Onesimus who has run away. And Onesimus gets uh, put in prison with, of all people, Paul the Apostle. And Onesimus, this former slave, comes to faith in Jesus. His life is radically transformed. And this slave becomes this very valuable companion to Paul, our apostle. This amazing story of a slave becoming a believer, becoming this right-hand man to Paul himself. But Paul is not going to circumvent the authority that happens there. Onesimus feels like he should return back. And so Onesimus is going back to his former master, Philemon. We have this letter in the scriptures of Paul writing to Philemon saying, I want you to receive him not as a slave, but as a brother. He's someone who's so valuable to me. I want you to treat him how you should. Ty is just the mailman. 
But it's probably Ty is returning to Colossae, likely he has Onesimus beside him. And he's brokering this letter exchange, this transaction. Any idea how that went? Philemon listens. Philemon sets Onesimus free. So, so think about this. An Asian believer comes to an aristocratic Roman guy and creates such a change in the heart to elevate the slave. And what we see is the slave is elevated above his master. Philemon becomes a leader in that church in Colossae. Next time we hear of Onesimus in the letters of church history, he becomes the bishop over the church in Ephesus. It's amazing. An amazing contribution. How did that happen? Tychicus, doing the mundane task, delivered a letter. And the church was formed and transformed and continues through normal, ordinary men and women from that day to our day. Third thing we see in the life of Tychicus. Ty was sent to do great things because he was first faithful in small things. I firmly believe that Ty was sent to do great things for God because he had been so faithful in the small things. Q311 song, if you'd like. Faithful in the small things. Ty was a beloved brother, a faithful helper. He was a servant leader. And so when the time came to dis- deliver this letter, there was one man for the job. We find that at the end of our passage today, reading from a different version, where Paul sends Ty, says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. How many of you today have a heart that's in need of being comforted? I can only imagine that at the church in Ephesus, there were those who needed their hearts comforted, and Tychicus was just the man for the job. The next time we see Tychicus mentioned in the New Testament is in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was Paul's last letter. He's writing Uh, from being a prisoner in Rome, and likely he's on death row at this point. 2 Timothy is a dark and difficult letter because Paul knows his life is about to end. He knows his ministry is about over, but he still has work to do that he wants to carry on because if he hasn't carried on the work in the lives of others, we're not here today. But more than that, There are people he loves across the known world, including those in Ephesus. And Tychicus, or I'm sorry, Paul is about to be martyred by the emperor Nero, and Nero is about to unleash persecution against the church. And people are bailing right and left, but not Tychicus. He's there at the end. He's in the jail cell. And what we learn from 2 Timothy is uh, this, Tychicus, I have sent... Ephesus. He's going to carry on the work. They're going to endure persecution. They need someone who can love them, who can support them, who can carry them through this. They need someone in these days who can comfort their hearts. I think you've realized by now Tychicus has a big role. God accomplishes great things in him. 
And so at the end of his life, when it all matters most, Paul's thinking, how do I get the word across? How do I comfort this church? Who do I send? I've got the guy. I've got the guy, Tychicus. He can do this. Why? Because Paul has seen him time and time again be faithful with the small things. Paul's seen him deliver letters. Paul's seen him uh, in the classroom being trained. Paul's seen him love faithfully and grow the church faithfully and do whatever it takes. He's seen him faithfully in the small things, just taking whatever yes next step to Jesus. And God does incredible, incredible things. Who wants to have a mundane life? Who wants to accomplish very little? Anyone in this room? Anyone? Probably not most of us. If you're like me, at your best, and there are some shadow sides here, but at your best, you want to make a difference. You want to leave your mark. You want to make an impact. You want what you leave behind to be greater than what you received. You want to make your mark, right? I believe God wants that for you. In fact, that's why we're turning the page next week to this I Am series, both on Sunday morning looking at the life of David and God's story and how that plays out in your life. I think it'll be an incredible time of us feeling encouraged and empowered about God wants to do in us. And that midweek experience, the I Am Project, I would highly encourage you to do this. Like Britain, I've been through a similar process, and it's helped shape who I am. Even a professional Christian, powerful, and the stories of men and women who have gone through this, it's been incredible. God wants to do big things in and through your life. How's he going to do that? Through the accumulated time spent as you've been faithful with whatever small thing he puts in front of you. It's the small things. The thing that's been impressed upon me as I've looked at Tychicus's life is he had no idea what God was doing in and through him. He had no idea. So imagine as he's traveling from Rome to deliver this message to encourage these churches, and on this particular visit, he's got a satchel, and he's got three letters in it. Do you think he had any clue that the, what was pinned on those letters wasn't just words of encouragement from a, a, an elderly man, but they contained the very words inspired by God himself? Do you think he had any idea that the church would see this, that these letters would be circulated, that they would see this was written through Paul, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that the church from that day till this day has been guided, has been equipped through the letters that have been accumulated in our scriptures. Do you think he had any idea that by just delivering the mail, he was going to chart the course of Christian history, indeed world history, that he was going to be laying the firm foundation we have when we open our Bibles. It's staggering. So go back to my Stella story. Like, worst-case scenario, interstate compact gets lost in the mail. We have to wait another week. Or let's say the postal service doesn't even work. Like, well, we just have to move to North Carolina. I guess that's worst-case scenario. Not likely. Tychicus loses the mail. Tychicus doesn't make it through. We've lost 10% of our New Testament scriptures. 
Small things, friends. Small things God can, does, and will use those in your life and in mine. I think I first learned this uh, as a college student, and I got to tell you, we were punk college kids in that day. But first semester, freshman year, K-State was one of those transformational experiences in my life. And I've got two stories, a funny one and a serious one. So we were sort of, we were, were becoming zealous for God, hopefully in a good way, and we were like an RA's ner- worst nightmare. Like the chicanery that happened around 305 Haymaker Hall was uh, legendary. And I say that because like at the end of the year, the RA's were all sharing stories, like, and ours were most of their stories. And one of those stories we just call The Rock, and it happened in my room. And so it was one night, it was probably October of freshman year, we'd stayed out late seeing a Gan Gan Daddy show. One of our buddies was in a band, and it was awesome, and I was getting home late. And so roll in about 2 o'clock. And in our dorm room, we're on these elevated lofts on either side. They're about 7 feet high, because we got to have living space. So the only way to get on top of them is to walk over, step on the desk, jump up. Isaac's on the right. Isaac Anderson, by the way, he's spoken here a few times, my best friend, college roommate. Uh, serial prankster. And so I walk in, Isaac's evidently asleep. I turn on the lights, but the lights don't turn on. I think he really must be tired. And I'm just obliviously tired at this point. So I don't even change into pajamas. I mean, like I ever did that in college. Um, I got up into bed and I was, as I was trying to get uh, tucked into sleep, my feet stopped about halfway into the bed. There was an obstruction, and it's at this point where I realized later, Isaac's not asleep, he's meticulously planned this, and he's waiting, and here's what he hears. Isaac! Isaac! What in the world? Isaac! There's a huge rock in my bed! Like, literally, that's what I said, verbatim. The rock is this big. It's got to weigh 200 or 250 pounds, and I'm not exaggerating. I know this because it took three or four football players to lift it out of the bed to where they then just left it in the elevator, which is why the RAs didn't like us, but that's beside the point. Huge rock in our bed. Kind of a silly story that I didn't know if I would include, but here's what that means for me. If we're going to make changes in our lives, it can't be incremental. You know this in business. You know this in life. You've got to set some big rocks that get in your way that you can't get around if you're going to make the changes to do the extraordinary things that are in your heart. It takes the big rocks. And it was also that first semester freshman year that that big rock fell into place in my spiritual life when Glenn Kaler told me how to spend time with God daily in Scripture and prayer. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. He sat down with us in this group of about 16 college folks, young men and women. And he took us to a passage in Scripture where Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha. And there are all these things that need to be done. And Martha's doing all these things. And she's miffed because her sister's just sitting at Jesus' feet doing nothing. And Glenn said, Mary's chosen what's better. You need to spend time, no matter what, each day, Sitting at Jesus' feet, that's more important than anything you'll do. And then he took us to the later in the book where Jesus comes for Mary and he issues this invitation where she hears, 
the teacher has come and he's asking for you. And so Glenn told that group of folks, every day when you sit down with God, when you make space and you carve out the time, know that the teacher is there and he's asking for you. And so based upon that, first semester freshman year in 305 Hall, when we weren't doing pranks, I was growing in that habit of scripture and prayer and doing that in meaningful relationships and community. And so for 21 days, I had heard it took 21 days to create a habit. And so I gave myself the 21-day challenge, which was just this. Spend time 21 days in a row with Jesus in Scripture and prayer. It was my way to make Jesus first at this crossroads in life. I could follow the faith of my family or I could chart a new course for God or for something else. And I knew I wanted to make Jesus first. And so 21 days in a row, I spent time in scripture and prayer. Some days that was great. It was 20 or 30 minutes. I read a passage, felt close to Jesus. Some days it wasn't so great. I read and felt like I got nothing. A few days it was two o'clock in the morning and I realized, oh, I haven't done this. I was like, dang it, I gotta spend time with God. And I rolled over and did that. It wasn't glamorous, but that 21 days set a pattern, set a habit. And so a couple of weeks ago, we were with our, uh, some of our leadership team. You may know if you've been around, we're in a new visioning process that we feel like God's really leading us in. And a question was asked, if, if only one thing could happen for our people, if there was just one thing that has made all the difference in terms of a transformed life in Jesus, what would it be? And we had incredible answers. Here's mine. If every one of us would do the 21 day challenge, if each one of us would spend time cultivating our daily life with Jesus, putting him first in scripture and prayer, in the context of meaningful relationships, it's ball game. Every ordinary believer in our seats would live an extraordinary life. God would accomplish great things through our mundane tasks. God has plans for you and for us. So let's get about this year being about small things. Will you do that? September 1st, 2019. Here's your invitation. The teacher is here. And he's asking for you by name. What will it take for you to put Jesus first? That may be setting aside a pattern or a habit that's standing in the way of him. That may be jumping into the I am course. That may be getting right relationally with someone. But let me give you a specific, practical way. What if you spent 21 days spending time with Jesus in scripture and prayer and sharing that with at least one other person. I wanted to leave you with this word from Home Depot. You can do it. And we can help. Here are three ways we can help. First, we have this uh, encountering God through scripture and prayer plan. This is almost identical to what I gleaned from Glenn 20 some years ago. 
These will be up front as you take communion or in the atrium. Second idea, we have the Journey Online Devotional. You can access it through the website or through the app. It's towards the top and it just sends you a daily reading and helps prompt you. How do you write down an observation, reflection, or application from scripture? And we're starting Mark tomorrow. It's a book about the life of Jesus. Will you take the invitation and sit at his feet? Go through the book of Mark with us. Third way we can help. This is something new. We're pretty excited about it. Part of our journey devotional, we do a podcast that's just the day's reading in six to eight minutes. Here are some ways to make it fresh, to understand it and apply it to our lives. It's available uh, by podcast. There's a YouTube channel. You can easily find that uh, through the journey. Whatever you do, today is the day there is an invitation. Will you make space to grow in that relationship and make Jesus first?